You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Are you looking for a great way to make new connections and spread your wings? Revel is a new kind of social platform exclusively for women over 40, where you can do just that. With virtual and in real life events, authentic conversations, and no ads, Revel is the community site exclusively designed for like-minded, fabulous, fun women in midlife. Learn more and join for free at hellorevel slash flaunt. That's hello, R-E-V is in Victor, E-L, dot com slash flaunt. Come join us. It's nourishing and super fun. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle and I work with people who have been devastated by infidelity. Whether that is full-blown sexual infidelity or some kind of emotional infidelity, it doesn't really matter. What matters is when your trust is broken, it impacts you on such a deep, painful, personal level. And today we're going to talk about one, just one, of the many causes of infidelity, the many reasons that people go down this kind of a painful, life-altering rabbit hole. And that reason is sexual brokenness. And if you're wondering what sexual brokenness is, think some kind of sexual addiction. And we're going to go deep into that. So don't worry. Today, we are going to talk with two amazing people Roan and Eva Hunter. They are the authors of the book Sex, God, and the Chaos of Betrayal. And they're going to talk about recovery from false intimacy or sexual addiction, sexual brokenness, coupled with their perspective as recognized clinical experts in the field. And this show is going to offer you both hope and healing if you have been impacted by sexual brokenness in any way. So with that, welcome to the show, both of you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So glad to be with you. Yes. Okay, let's start kind of from the beginning. Sexual brokenness. What does that mean? Um, I know you talk about the millions of people that are affected by this rising tide of sexual brokenness. What what does that mean? Let's start from the very beginning. Yeah, I think, Lord, the way that we just kind of use the uh, term sexual brokenness is really an umbrella term. Um, Eve and I both have, um, we're, we're life, licensed professional counselors, and we also have two certifications in sex addiction work. And oftentimes when you use the term sex addiction, it's, it can be kind of a misnomer because the, the, you know, there's a lot of different nuances in how sexual brokenness can manifest. 
Um, and that's everything from uh, whether it's a, a porn addiction or compulsion uh, to some type of um, an affair uh, or uh, and certainly a full-blown sexual addiction, which we just kind of call classic sexual addiction. Um, but there's just lots of ways that sexual brokenness uh, shows up in relationships. Yeah, it does. Now, you two are um, counselors. Is this something that you thought, oh, I just really am interested in studying sexual, you know, brokenness, addictions, and I'm just going to study that? Or how did you come to this line of work? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, at this point in our life, we are in our early 60s. And very early, very, very early. Very early. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned 60 uh, last week, and Ron is 61. No, I will be. I'm oh, not yeah, yet. he will be 60 in August. In August. <laughs> so we're very early 60s. And discovery happened for me, and really for Ron, too, to realize, oh, gosh, what he was engaging in was actually a sexual addiction. But I was uh, 27 years old at the time, and he was 28 years old. Well, I turned 20. We were both 27. At yeah, the, yeah, at that point. Yeah. It was the year of that. Uh, so it's been 32 years ago. And no, we did not, at least I did not, have the, the thought or the vision that one day I would be uh, a, a licensed professional counselor, and this would be my specialty. Right. Um, not have that vision at all. It certainly progressed over time through recovery, really, uh, through my own recovery as a partner, um, and then just uh, giving back what I had been given, uh, and and really the healing that came for me from my own betrayal trauma. Uh, you know, in 1990, for the partner, it what the term that was used was uh, codependent. The partner was known as a codependent. Then somewhere in the late 1990s, maybe early 2000, the term was also around the co-addict. It was a co she was a co-addict or the partner was a co-addict. Uh, you know, for me personally, I could connect with both of those. However, what really defines it the best is betrayal trauma for the partner. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit about, because you said you, you can identify it with codependent, co-addict, dependent, betrayal trauma. What what does somebody who is experiencing that feel? What are some of the common manifestations for listeners? Are If they're thinking, I don't really know if what my partner is doing is normal, "Quote unquote normal is typical is atypical. How how can they tell if something rises to the level of some kind of addiction and brokenness? And then how can they tell if what they're experiencing is a result of that or not? Well, for me, I mean, I never caught Roan doing. You know, I never caught him. Uh, this was before the time of inter the internet, so I never saw porn on a computer. Uh, we were very involved in a, a church environment. Uh, we are believers. We walk with Jesus. And, you know, in that respect, uh, you know, I 
there was no porn in the home as far as magazines. We didn't really watch inappropriate things on TV or in movies. Uh, so what Rome presented was something that I, I thought I could trust. So then when he told me one day, hey, I have a problem with pornography, it absolutely worked, rocked my world because I did not know that side of him at all. Uh, well, let me back up a minute. There were maybe a few little red flags uh, <laughs> as far as uh, checking, you know, I could... Uh, there's that in my intuition would go off if we were in an environment where there were other women, a lot of other women who were scantily dressed, mm-hmm. you know, tell that there was a pull or I could feel that there was a pull from him in that direction. And I would want to talk about it. I would want to, conf- I did confront it, but he always denied it. And he always, it made me feel, uh, it, it was put back on me. You know, the term gaslighting is really popular today. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, I was made to feel like something was wrong with me. I was insecure. I was jealous. Um, so there was not, so that was very confusing the first seven to eight years of our marriage for me. Yeah. yeah we, we, uh, we got married when we were 20 years old. We were seniors in college. And, you know, for me, the porn thing, as Eva said, uh, there was no, no such thing as the internet. And, uh, I was exposed to pornography when around eight, nine years old. Uh, my mother's attitude was boys will be boys. And I had two older brothers that were four and five years older. And so porn was like on the bedside table. And, you know, the magazines were bad enough because, uh, it, it, it hooked me early being exposed to that. And, um, and then over time, um, you know, that just continued to progress or escalate, as we call it. Uh, and, and, and then when even I got married and I got into, out into the working world, you know, I would, you know, secretly, again, as Eva said, it was all hidden, all secret. Uh, I would, you know, started going to, you know, strip joints and, and then, uh, massage parlors and then ultimately, uh, crossing flesh lines um, with prostitutes and and again all hidden and all secret and as Eva said um, we were we are believers and I sincerely wanted to you know not do the things I was doing but it had you know as, again we did not know these terms uh, but it was a full-blown sexual addiction you know started early on in my life. And then I was trying to fight it on my own. And it was the day that I admitted to Eva that I had a problem with pornography was really the beginning um, of everything changing for me and ultimately for us. Uh, I quickly uh, got engaged uh, in counseling uh, and support groups. We were living in Atlanta. And again, this was 1990. There was a whole lot out there back then. Uh, but there was in Atlanta. And so, um, you know, I really wanted, uh, recovery and I wanted to be free from it. Uh, I just, you know, was trying to do it on my own and that never works. And so it had to come out into the light. Yes. And so the beginning of everything changing for us. I really love and appreciate the characterization of D-Day as a beginning the beginning of change, 
the beginning of, you know, redemption, exposure, all of that, because so often, I think too often, people think that it's the end, that the house of cards just fell, my life fell apart. And, yeah. you know, I, yeah, and, and I, I too felt that way, you know, learning about my husband. My husband did not have an addiction, but he, I mean, everything is an addiction in, in, in a sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. We say that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, it wasn't a pornography addiction, it was affairs. And it is the understanding that D Day is not the ending, but it's the beginning of an opportunity. Like you talk about letting go of the false intimacy and really knowing each other. Really, you know, you, 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 as believers, you've walked with God, but now this is really walking. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We always say there that there are three things that kill intimacy. And, you know, when we say intimacy, we, we're not talking about sex. We're talking about the deep emotional, uh, even spiritual connection between a husband and wife. The three things that kill that are secrets, silence, judgment. And, and, you know, I certainly was holding a lot of secrets that Eva had no idea about and um you know i was going to carry that to my grave uh well my hope was that i would figure out how to stop and never have to tell anybody anything uh however we just know it doesn't work that way and and so the you know the admission um that i just admitted to pornography uh was just a huge thing because of the shame that i had around it but that's what it took for us to begin to begin the healing journey, and it was not all. No, all it was very difficult for me. I mean, I had uh, it was trauma, right? So I had a and it mirrors post traumatic stress disorder (PTSD). I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of fears. Uh, I became very hyper vigilant. Uh, about everything around my environment, uh, was I, I was really looking for safety and I felt very unsafe, uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think that's where you identify with kind of the co addict in looking for your safety in the in relationship. The relationship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Instead of trying to create my own safety for myself. Well, I ultimately did because I chose to divorce after two years. I was just the the PTSD, the betrayal trauma was so great, and no one at that time they didn't use that terminology, and no one really said that. I think it would have been very helpful for me to say, "Hey, Eva, this is what's going on with you, and you will your brain will heal when you feel when 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 you can get to the place where your husband willing to create safety." You can create safety for yourself, right, with boundaries. Right. Then you can begin to heal. And and so, but, you know, I did divorce. We uh, went through that. We were uh, apart for uh, about a year, a little over a year, separated and divorced. And in that time, I began to work on myself for the first time. Before I was so focused on him and the addiction, I did not look at myself. Uh, I really, 
I grew up with a, a in an alcoholic home. My father was a at the time was still in his addiction, um, so that scared me. Even the word addiction scared me because never seen seen someone in sobriety, uh, so I didn't trust it. And uh, at that point, I didn't really accept that I had been affected by what I'd grown up in. The first thing I did was go to a group for adult children of alcoholics. It's an ACOA group, which helped me tremendously. It's where I really began to unpack what had happened in my childhood. And and what came out of that was that I could really begin to see that, wow, I had my own brokenness. You know, if I'd been a healthy whole person, I would have I wouldn't have made own. I would have seen that, boy, this man doesn't really know how to connect on an emotional le- level. Well, neither did I, right? So there was really, and we'd like to call it an intimacy disorder between the two of us. But we didn't know. Right. We didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, the phrase intimacy disorder makes perfect sense. And just last night, actually, my husband and I were talking because we were still together as well. But we were talking about that being early married, how we didn't know what it meant and how there wasn't really a lot of guidance or anybody to say, you know, look, you can do this better and you can do this better and you should expect mm-hmm. this. And this is how you can create that. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm so grateful today for uh, for all that is known and all the research that has been done. It's been very helpful because there are a lot of people that face this. There's a lot of uh, that face betrayal. Yes, yes, and in so many different terms because you talked about yeah. yeah there's pornography, there's actual physical, there's there, there's so many different layers of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So once you started kind of piecing this together that you needed to work on yourself, Roe needed to work on himself, how how did you start integrating that into your actual experiences? Because it's one thing to realize, oh my childhood impacted me and oh, yes. I do have a problem. And then putting that wisdom and that insight into action. Yeah, we, we, uh, we certainly engaged in the, you know, counseling process together. You know, I, I sit with, uh, men today and, uh, I primarily work with men, Eva works with women, and then we work with couples together. Um, and I'll have guys that say, well, you know, I tried that counseling thing. I went three times and it just didn't work. Well, we, we always, I always say, well, you know, we went twice a week, uh, I went individually, Eva went individually, and then we went together as a couple, uh, and then we were also involved in, uh, therapy groups and support groups. And so we, we spent a lot of time on the couch before we ever, uh, started sitting in the chair in the counseling office. Um, and so, uh, you know, with the help of a, uh, a counselor and beginning to work on just the, the, the deeper relational issues, uh, not just the, certainly I had to do my work around my addiction and, um, Eva had to do her work in healing from the betrayal trauma and, and, and both of us with our childhood, um, baggage trauma that we both brought into the marriage. Uh, 
And, you know, as Eva said, there were, you know, we, we would have never married each other. I don't know if anybody would get married. Um, it would, it, it's that infatuation stage of relationship where everything's rosy. Um, and then that wears off, right? Uh, if we ignore the red flags, you know, I always tell people it's like the red flags are not necessarily a carnival. Uh, you right. need to pay attention to those. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was really just, you know, a, a long process of doing our work and, um, and, uh, and, and willingness. And, willingness right? and we say sides. that all the time. You know, what, what you're each looking for in the relationship is willingness. Is my partner willing to grow and really know himself or herself? Right. And, and that really is the sanctification process. It's just a willingness to be willing. You know, I, I certainly didn't know how, but I was willing to be willing to learn. Uh, right. And, and it, we always say it just takes a lot of time, a lot of tears and a lot of talking in order to, you know, put this thing, put it back together. And so we were apart, uh, as Eva said, uh, you know, separated and divorced a little over a year. And then when she had, uh, what we kind of call her grace awakening. Uh, we began to talk about the possibility of, you know, um, getting, getting married and getting back together again. And, and we had two, you know, small, we had two sons that were, you know, they were about five, uh, six years old. And so that certainly was a, was a motivator. And, um, and so we, we began, you know, that process and it's really, you know, that's why we do what we do today. And it's why we wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, you know, the book is just our roadmap uh, of couples recovering from uh, this type of um, issue. And that's one of the things that we always say. I mean, we had a very uh, a great counselor. However, what we realized that we really needed uh was a lot of direction and a lot of guidance and a lot of hope. And that's what we talk about with our roadmap is like, okay, you know, you're in crisis. Uh, we believe there's no greater crisis in marriage uh, than betrayal. Mm-hmm. Maybe the death of a child, um, uh, but the, but the betrayal trauma and, and when betrayal happens, uh, it is, it is major crisis. And in that, uh, you need a lot of direction. Uh, our process offers that and, and we are very task oriented. Uh, there's things that you're, you know, working on outside of the counseling office. And, and what we say, if you trust the process, uh, there's lots of hope. There's a, there's possibility that not only can the marriage survive it, but the possibility is that you might actually have the marriage that, that, that you both wanted to begin with. And certainly God intended from the beginning, uh, if you, if you do the work and trust the process. Yes. Yes. Uh, my husband and I say that a lot too. There would have been no other way actually for us to have each gotten the marriage that we wanted except going through this, which is really ironic. Yeah, isn't, isn't it? It, it isn't certainly it? is. And, it, you know, in the middle of it, it's hard to see that. Oh, yeah. Right? But on the side of it, you can look back and go, yes, this has ultimately been for our good. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. So before we dive into the roadmap, which I would like to do, I want to ask, how does a person know whether or not they have an addiction or a brokenness? Well, it's, you know, I, I, we kind of use those terms interchangeably. Um, I always say I have two certifications in sex addiction work and, and, and IR one. Um, however, um, when you use the term, you know, sex addict, boy, that conjures up a lot of images and certainly for a, you know, for a betrayed partner to hear that your partner is now, you know, been labeled as an addict. Uh, there's, there's almost a hopelessness in that. As Eva said, um, and, and with, with sexual brokenness, it, it's a lot different than uh, an addiction to drugs or alcohol because part of it is certainly, you know, we're sexual beings. Um, it's part of who we are. Um, if you're going to be a married relationship, sex is a part of that. And so it's really a deeper, um, uh, more of a multifaceted problem than just labeling it as an addiction right. because intimacy, intimacy issues, um, there's, there's certainly, uh, the, the soul issues. Um, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, this thing's got tentacles connected to every aspect of who we are. And, and, in what, what I call classic sexual addiction, what you see are the escalation of the behaviors, uh, and typically, uh, that's going to start early on, uh, masturbation, uh, pornography, and then sex with girls, and then, uh, marriage comes, and then the behaviors continue to escalate, and it is progressive. And so that would be, you know, kind of one of the, the, the defining, um, nuances of like addiction versus brokenness i like that terms too uh what we're looking for is compulsivity yeah and preoccupation uh how compulsive is this has this person said i will not engage in this behavior today but by the end of the day that person has engaged in some type of behavior and or they spend a lot of time they're very preoccupied where am I going to get my next fix for sex? Where am I going to get it? And I'm always searching. It really starts uh, with distorted thinking, uh, which a lot of times has started in childhood. It's what they may have seen modeled by a parent or a sibling. Uh, there's just a lot of ingredients that go into it. And it's really different, you know, because we work with people where there's been um, I just, I, I'm, I'm so averse to the term affairs, uh, but, but maybe, you know, a guy's on a business trip uh, and certainly women can, can do this too. Um, but you know, you have too much to drink at the bar and then there's a hookup and it's kind of a, a one time event. Uh, that's still betrayal. Um, but however, it's certainly not, uh, would not fall into, um, you know, an addiction. And, and that plays out in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it could be some type of an emotional affair, um, uh, and that's betrayal as well. And so that's why we just like the term sexual brokenness rather than addiction, because 
you know, whatever it is, it's like Houston, we have a problem and we've got to deal with this problem. Right. That That's a great uh, definition. I like all the words that you said. Compulsivity, preoccupation, distorted thinking, regressive. Because while labels can be very useful and very powerful in understanding what you're dealing with, all too often, um, I think sometimes in an attempt to explain something away or to justify your pain, it's easy to start throwing a label around too. Oh, and yeah. yeah. And that's why it's nice to have just kind of a broad description here of, you know, this isn't just a random one night stand that was bad judgment. This is what this is, and this is what that is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and as CSAT therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, we have access to assessments that help someone really understand it. It helps us as a therapist too, but also the client. Is this what I'm dealing with, a sexual addiction? Where am I on the scales? Right, right. And the betrayed partner still can have PTSD, betrayal trauma, whether or not if it was, you know, an addiction or, again, I hate saying this, just an affair. But yeah, it doesn't matter. That's right. right. Yeah. So let's start breaking down... um, this roadmap and talk a little bit more about your book, both in terms of what are some of these steps, Um, you know, listeners who are thinking, oh my gosh, I think my partner might be sexually broken. I don't know where to start. Start walking us down this roadmap. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the kind of the first step, um, when, you know, uh, you know, the, the main thing that we're doing if we're working with the couple is we're really trying to comfort the hurt. We're really trying to deal with the betrayal trauma. Um, it, you know, uh, there's just a lot of emotional dysregulation on both sides of the fence. Um, even on the, the, the betrayer, uh, there's discovery trauma because it was this thing that you thought nobody was ever going to know about. And now it's been exposed. And so you're kind of reeling as the betrayer. And then certainly as the betrayed party, um, you're dealing with the trauma of finding out this person that I thought I knew is not who I thought he or she was. And so we're really trying to work with that emotional dysregulation in the beginning. And, and we're talking about the process. And, and then the first step in the process um, is what we just call owning your story. And that's where we're beginning to kind of go back and look at what we call the setup of like, why were you attracted to this person? You know, what set you up, uh, in order to enter into this relationship? And so we're looking at, you know, we're starting back in family of origin. And then we're looking at, you know, um, your role in the family system. Um, the, uh, the, um, Finances, uh, your sexual sexual history, both parties. Yeah, the rules in the family system. um, The role that you play. Yeah, there's just it's about eight pages of questions. There's a lot that comes out with that, so it helps them to go back and uh, collect the dots, to connect the dots, and and ultimately, what we want to do is to correct the. Right. So that gives them a lot of awareness. We like to say what wholeness is, 
is that each person knows themselves and they that they know God. So we're seeking awareness. Uh, and it's very helpful for the couple. They really begin to see, oh my goodness, I see the setup, right? Yes. The fact, the impact that it had on you and the track that it set you on. For each person, uh, they're able to really begin to uh, have empathy for one another. Uh, and But that takes time. I mean, like Ron said, the very beginning, it really is comforting. There's a lot of comforting the hurt. Uh, and then the after story of my life, owning our story, we do what's called a trauma wall, uh, similar to the old trauma egg. So they look at all the ways that they've been betrayed throughout their life, when they've been abandoned, when they've felt rejected, uh, when they have felt fear and, sh- and or shame. Uh, and so that's very enlightening to them. And out of that come their negative shame messages. Because what happens in the relationship is they each have into each other's negative shame messages. Yeah, those toxic shame messages are really my belief system. Uh, and just like for me growing up, um, I, I was, my role in the family system was the lost child. And so the core message, core wound for me was I'm on my own. I'm alone. And so when that would get tapped into, when Eva and I would just, you know, get sideways and have an argument, uh, boy, that old message gets tapped into. And, and then, you know, the way that I, you know, learned to cope with the, the, the pain in my life, uh, the, I call it the distress reduction behavior, uh, was, you know, porn and masturbation because I figured that out early on. And again, at that age, we're not aware of it, but it does work. It's an illegitimate coping behavior. Right. And so when that tapped into, then I would want to go act out. Uh, and that's just one example. There's lots of ways those toxic shame messages uh, get it, we've, we've all got different ones. Uh, I'm alone. I'm inadequate. I'm incompetent. I am impotent or powerless. I am insignificant. I don't matter. And, and that's where we're helping them begin to identify in working through the trauma wall. And so in the whole process, even the, you know, owning your story, we're doing that with them in, in the session as a couple. And it's really an intimacy building process because there's things that come out of this. They may have known kind of the facts or, you know, parts of the story, but they didn't know the impact that it had emotionally and relationally. And they didn't know the track that it, it set the other person on in, in their own life. Yeah. And so we're really building towards true intimacy in this whole process. Yeah. Ideally, a couple will be able to do both those. Most of the time, 99% of the time, the couple knows that, or the, the partner knows enough information to make decisions about. Many times, though, they want a disclosure right up front. And we assess that, you know, and, and try to encourage them if they can wait. Let's get through owning your story and let's get through trauma wall because now you're going to have a true full disclosure because the, the person who has acted out is going to be fully aware of all the things, all the ways this, 
he or she has acted out. In the beginning, it may not, it may only be a partial disclosure because they're just not aware. Uh, right. So we try to make, if we can, after trauma wall, to have formal full disclosure. And that's a whole process in itself. After disclosure, we really work on boundaries. Now, when we try to be, create safety in the beginning, there's boundaries then as well. But now we're becoming really defining all the boundaries in the relationship. Both parties, they both become very well-boundaried people. Um, this is what I will accept and this is what I won't accept. This is what I'm not gonna, going to go outside of my value system in this way. Uh, after boundaries. Well, and just on boundaries, one of the things that we're helping couples understand, because oftentimes boundaries are understood it's like i'm going to put a boundary on you and that's not really what boundaries are boundaries are really more about who i am as a man you know things that i will do things that i will not do things that i will accept things i will not accept and and it's kind of certainly values clarification and and now i'm beginning to develop those values and in my integrity i'm going to live out of my integrity and so we're really helping them understand what boundaries are. And then in the coupleship, we talk about agreements uh, because in the in a coupleship, it's more about, you know, the agreements that you have. And the more intimate a relationship is, the more agreements that you have. And then healthy, well-boundary people are able to keep their agreements. Yes. Yes. And, and I like that that comes later because if you don't know what your core trauma message is, that people leave me because I'm worthless, I'm insignificant, I have to seek to please you to validate me. Unless you know all of that, boundaries and coupleship is just kind of an exercise in futility. Yes. Exactly. I love is. the way you said that. That is so true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then after that process... Well, let me just, on the disclosure, you know, one of the things that we do um, offer as a resource, and it, we, it is separate from our practice, um, but we do uh, offer or say that, you know, if uh, the partner may need this, uh, like a full disclosure followed up with a polygraph. And... Yes. Um, we talk about it being a fidelity polygraph. It's not a criminal polygraph. It's very different. Um, and um, we we offer that as a resource. It's not like, like part of what we would say is part of our roadmap. But we have seen that to be very effective to really um, get the partner to the place of knowing that, you know, now we're, now we're dealing with truth and honesty. And that does create a lot of safety. Yes. Yes, it does. And, you know, and again, I like that that is third, that that comes after all of that, because there's so much sometimes that when we are still in that state of confusion, we don't know mm. what's real, what's not real. You know, again, um, at the time of recording this, I am on a vacation with my husband, which means we have a lot of talking time. And that was, again, one of the things that came up on this trip, how five years later, sometimes he will reflect back on behavior that happened 20 years ago, and he'll think, wow, I see that so 
differently than I do now, now that oh, I yeah. understand my trauma, now that I understand what I was seeking and how it's not, it's not that it's a new disclosure, but it's a new, it's a new understanding of, wow, what I was trying to get from that behavior was slightly inappropriate because I was seeking to have myself validated as a man. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And see, I, I just believe as, as human beings, we're always having new awarenesses too. Like we have new insights. And I, I love that. I love, love that y'all are sharing on that level. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. talk about that, you know, with, uh, with the couple. Um, there will be new awarenesses and we want to be able to create space to where, you know, uh, you can be able to talk about that. Um, and so often it's, you know, when this stuff happens, the tendency is to want to kind of get over it, get through it, and then sweep it under the bug. And that's never, we don't ever see that. That doesn't end well. No, no. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's, I, oh, go ahead, Laura. Sorry. Oh, I, no, that's fine. I, I just wanted to jump in because so much of that goes back to those three things that kill intimacy that you mentioned in mm. the beginning. Secrets, silence, and judgment. It, it needs to keep we need to keep sharing our secrets. We need to keep talking. And then, yeah, and then not that judgment. What a jerk you were. How awful you were. But, oh, oh yeah. I understand that now. That's yes, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then our final yeah. stage is uh, emotional restitution, where uh, the, the partner will write uh, an impact letter or, or grievance letter, and then her her, the one who has acted out will take that letter and write an amends letter. It's very healing. Um, so that's our final uh, stage of the process. Well, and then the, the then we're moving towards the very last part is what we call it's uh, it comes from Doctors Jill and uh, Bill and Ginger Burkoff uh, in their book The Couple's Guide to Intimacy. Uh, they use they uh, use the term sexual reintegration therapy because the sexual relationship between the couple is it's always affected in right. in their process um, of reintegrating sex in, into now the emotional intimate connection is is really the last stage of what we take the couple through and um, that's a very healing process around the sexual part of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, very powerful. So how long um, would a couple expect to spend moving through these phases? Understanding that everybody is, is slightly different, but what is a rough timeline for how long this would all take? Well, I mean, it, like you said, every couple is different. Uh, we can we, we see progress uh, in about a lot of progress in about a year. And I would say, uh, where they feel like they're, they have become their true selves, uh, between three and five years. Yeah. And if we were, we always tell, if, if we tell a couple, if we were just able to like start in the process and just, you know, go, go step by step and task by task, uh, it would probably take about a, uh, about a year, nine months to a year. However, 
it's just not ever that clean. Uh, this process is messy. Uh, we tell yeah. couple this process is more like the, the roads in Tennessee and not the roads in Texas. You know, those roads in Texas are long, straight, and flat. And this is more like, you know, uh, in Tennessee, you've got uh, mountains and valleys and uh, rock slides. And it's just a, it's a messy process uh, And because there's things that are going to come up that we're going to have to deal with and put out the fire of the week. And so it, it takes it takes a, a good year uh, to get through it. And, and then, you know, even research shows that it takes a, uh, anywhere from three to five years in order for the relationship to fully stabilize, uh, to get back to, uh, if there is such a thing as normal, but to get back to a place of, uh, even trust and safety. And again, that window is often predicated on the amount of work that the couple is willing to do outside of the of the one hour counseling session. Right. And yeah, we we offer and we do intensives um, uh, with couples, and uh, we we sometimes we we do those in a group setting with anywhere from uh, ten to twelve couples. Uh, which is powerful in doing it in, in group work like that. Or we do that, uh, what we call our one-to-one couples intensives. And those are either two days or three day intensives where we're, we're really going through, you know, the process, uh, in a very condensed amount of time. And that certainly will be a great boost, um, into the recovery process. Right. And we offer recovery groups. Yeah. Uh, on a weekly basis. So that's all helpful too, because the partner is going to, he, she will actually heal, he or she will heal in community with other betrayed partners. Some of them are further along. Uh, and so it's just those people really understand their, right? Yes. Uh, and so often, you know, that's really where you're going to be able to uh, heal is in community with other partners. Yeah. yeah, because it is it is a journey that unless you have walked to this journey, there are a heck of a lot of assumptions, but you don't really know what it's like. And truly, yeah. people don't know until they've been there. That's oh, right. Yeah. So true. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's hard to talk about it, even, you know, maybe even with close friends that haven't experienced it. And, and you can't talk about it anywhere else. Uh, you can't talk about it at church. Uh, no. And so having the groups, uh, like Eva talked about, she works with, you know, partners and then I work with, um, on, on the men's side. Um, um, and so, and, and, you know, the betrayer, uh, whether it's addiction or whether it's, uh, a, a one-off betrayal, uh, they need, they need that as well. They need others that are further down the road in their own growth and awareness and being able to speak into the distorted thinking. And that's all, that's all part of the healing process uh, for both parties, really. Yeah. And what's so important and so powerful about that is it is my belief, um, you know, again, as a person driven by faith, we are not bad people. You know, the betrayer is not a bad person. They are not an evil person. I did not, as a betrayed partner, I am not bad or faulty or broken. Nobody is broken in spiritually. That's, that's right. 
yeah, we're all souls and we all have got some unfortunate life circumstances, but it's it's yeah. hard to get out of the shame sometimes and to communicate that this is not a shame-filled situation. It's an unfortunate situation and there is grace and there is healing that will take place all around if we just let it. That's oh, so that's true. So good. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So how can people reach out to you and learn more about your programs and your work and find your book? Yeah, our uh, website uh, is uh, sexgodchaos.com. And uh, there's there's links on there. Uh, there's more information about the book. Uh, there's links to other podcasts that, that uh, we've been on and we do. And uh, and then there's information about um, just, you know, contacting us and our intensives and the other things that we offer, the resources that we have available. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, here's, here's another thing. Because we were just talking right before that about some of the shame and the pain and the confusion around it, where do you suggest people reach out first? Either if they think, I have got an addiction going on, I need, there's something I want to confess, or just, or on the other side, if you're a betrayed partner and you're thinking, there are some red flags, where can people reach out to get help and to clarify the, what they feel is real? What is a, a resource for that? Do you have something? Yeah, we we always recommend um, somebody that works uh, in the arena of sexual brokenness, uh, a CSAT therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist, uh, has been trained uh, certainly to work with sex addiction and also been trained to work with betrayal trauma as well. And it really, it, it really needs to be somebody that understands both sides of it. Um, uh, or, 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 I mean, a CSAT therapist certainly would be the first, uh, the first go to that we would recommend for sure. Perfect. And then this is kind of a trick question in a way. And I recognize that it's a trick question, which is why I'm prefacing as, as an intrinsic trick question, because it's one that I get so often. If this is such a painful, difficult process that can take like five years and all of this money, time, effort, tears, isn't it easier just to walk away, let bygones be bygones, you do you, and to find a new partner and to quote unquote this time do it right mm -hmm. <laughs> oh if only it were so if only it were so uh, the problem is if we don't do our own work we're going to repeat it again yeah I'll there's say, something about the relationship that is familiar yeah. right yeah we've got to dig in uh, either way you know whether you're the betrayed partner or you're the one that has betrayed You've got to begin to dig in and do your own work. Otherwise, you'll do life uh, by the directions on a shampoo bottle. It, I don't know if you've ever read those. Yep. If you ever look at the <laughs> shampoo bottle, the directions say lather, rinse, repeat. And, and if we don't do our work, it is so amazing how we'll just go out there and find another one just like the first one or the second one or the third one until we do our work. We're just going to repeat it. 
Amen. <laughs> I loved your trick question. I know, absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite trick question because isn't that just so true? That's what we're all like. I, I just I don't even need to deal with it. I'll just do it right the next time. It's, That's it's, right. It's, yeah. And, and certainly, you know, there are circumstances where uh, it's, you may need to walk away. And that's, that's if yes. you have an, an unrepentant, uh, uh, partner, uh, an unwilling partner, somebody that's not willing to do whatever it takes to go to any length. Um, you know, those are the things that, that certainly the betrayed partner needs to see. And we just call it consistent action over time. And many times a partner needs to find out from, uh, a, a professional, like, is the, is he gaslighting me or is this the truth? You know, and a third party who's not emotionally attached can see those things more clearly that, that the betrayed partner cannot see. Yes. Yeah. A third party is so helpful. I mean, like that for clarity, for experience, for everything. And, and I for think every- that's, yeah, yes. that, that's just why I'm so thankful that, you know, people like you are out there doing this work to speak the unspeakable. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you both for your time, for your insight, um, for your wisdom, and also for writing this book. Um, Again, the website, sexgodchaos.com, and I will put that in the show notes, but definitely check it out. Uh, I think we all need a roadmap. We all need hope, and we all need the voices of those of us who have been through something like this. So, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Laura. You're welcome. Listeners, check out the book. Have an amazing weekend. As usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are, because who you are is always more. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.